Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Trainer. Phenomenal episode this week. Glad you're tuning in. Two guests, two interviews, um, different ends of the spectrum. Both guests were tremendous. First up, we're going to have Brian Baumgartner from The Office who now hosts a podcast, The Oral History of the Office for Spotify. And we go through a ton of topics about the show. Kevin was tremendous. And then after that, Renee Young, who has recently left WWE and uh, is not ready to go to AEW, which a lot of people think, but we talk about all that. And Renee leaving WWE, why she left, battling COVID. Uh, she was very honest and unfiltered. So it was a great interview. So on this episode, you're going to Brian Baumgartner first from The Office. Renee Young, second from WWE, who just left WWE, I should say. And um, both, both interviews were really tremendous. If you missed any recent SI Media podcast, go into the archive, subscribe, rate, review. Did uh, some NFL new media news with Sports Business Journal's Ben Fisher last week. Richard Jefferson was also on the podcast. Keith Hernandez, two weeks ago. Kyle Brandt, three weeks ago. Check those out. All right. Again, subscribe if you're not a subscriber. And let's get to this episode with Brian Baumgartner and Renee Young. All right, joining me now, huge thrill. Second time I've had an office cast member on the SI Media Pod. So it's uh, a good day for me. He's the host of a great podcast, the, an oral history of The Office on Spotify, Brian Baumgartner. Play Kevin Warren. Brian, how's it going? That's great. How are you? I am well, and I'm, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I'm a huge fan of the show and a huge fan of the podcast. So thanks for coming on. 
Thank you. The pod is is really well done. And it's funny, before we get into like really the hardcore stuff of it, I have to say, you know, everyone knows the Kevin Malone voice, but Brian Baumgartner has a great podcast voice. It's very <laughs> soothing when you listen to it and very clear. And it's a, you have a good podcast voice, I must say. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, ben Silverman, uh, our other executive producer, likes to say that uh, it's uh, Tom Hanks mixed with uh, cigars and a little whiskey. So there you go. I can see that. Yes. Yes. I, oh, yes. Tom Hanks. Yes. I can see that for sure. Um, wow. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, it's funny. It's like, I don't even know where to begin because there's so much to talk about, obviously. Um, but I'll start with something from a, from a selfish standpoint. I had, I was very lucky to have Steve Carell on my podcast um, a couple of years ago. And one of the things he talked about that, you know, The Office is such an iconic show. Like the fans, I think we feel like, what else don't we know about it? We feel like we know so much about it. So it's always great when we can find out something new. And Steve told me on the podcast when you guys did the basketball episode, those scenes where you're draining shot after shot after shot weren't meant to be filmed or in the episode. He, he said, Steve told me, you know, he saw you doing that and he told those guys who filmed to just keep rolling on it and then they put it in the episode. That must have been wild for you. Uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, obviously played basketball when I was younger and just like a, a boy, when there's a ball around, it's hard to not like want to play with it. That's what she said, I guess, but I, um, no. So we, you know, we were filming, they had the court set up. So anytime in between shots, we were just kind of playing. I mean, not like going one-on-one, but you know, playing horse and shooting shots and, yeah, I uh, he got the idea, or somebody got the idea to 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 film that as the end. And uh, I know that <clears throat> I remember when the episode aired, there were two or three or four, whatever it was that aired, and I was like, "Come on, guys!" I made actually thirteen in a row, unedited. Wow! And they came and they were like, "It was so awesome," but that was like three minutes of the show. Like we could not do this for three long minutes. So I, I think on the DVD or whatever, they put the extended right. cut in there. But uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty proud of that. So the, the podcast an oral history of the office, it's on Spotify. It's funny. Do you feel, you know, I know Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsley do a podcast. Is there like office competition now with the podcasts or, I mean, you no. guys go on each other. So that's nice. Yeah, no, they, they came and sat down for mine and, uh, I'm, I'm going to go on theirs as well. They actually were like, well, why don't we wait and have you on once, um, you know, once an oral history premieres so that, you know, you can talk about that. So, uh, I'm going to be on there soon, but no, I mean, it, it, it sounds fake, but really we all do still get along yeah. very well. We still talk and communicate and, um, and they, I consider them part of my family. So I'm going to go backwards almost in a way because I, I will say I listen when I listened to the first episode of an oral history of the office, I loved it. I was hooked right away because I, I got the vibe from it that it was really going to be an inside television podcast too. I mean, if you're a fan of the office, you're not going to be disappointed in any way, shape or form. But if you're into the business of TV, I, I, it's really good. And that sort of came to a head, I think, in the last episode um, about Steve Carell's departure. And it's really mind-boggling to think, uh, I'm going to do a quick summary and tell me, you know, you could fill in the blanks or tell me if I'm exaggerating a little. But it, basically, when NBC got sold to Comcast, that's sort of, that's what did in Steve Carell on The Office. It, it's kind of crazy that it went down that way. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, there was a lot of discussion about this episode. Um, and, you know, Steve's mess, he and I talked, not only was he interviewed for the podcast, but we spoke, uh, you know, after we started assembling the episodes. And look, I, I think to suggest that um, he would have stayed would be inaccurate. Uh, I'm not saying that that he would have stayed, um, but because you know his his position is very clear that for seven years the show was focused on Michael Scott and what he was really interested in was for to see the journey of Michael Scott, what he went through, how he evolved as a person, and you know how we talk about it in the podcast is it really became his need to have a family was there. And the office became his surrogate family, much to everyone else's chagrin, right? <laughs> who, who were f- sort of forced to be in his family. Um, to him, maturing as a person and as a man and finding Holly and deciding that his family was elsewhere, which led him to leave. So Steve is very clear that that's what he wanted. At the same time, yes, um, NBC, um, during a lot of the time that we were on, uh, including, you know, the fact that all of us thought we were going to be done after 12 episodes. Uh, it was never seen at the network. Um, let's just put it this way. It, they never anticipated or, or showed us that they believed that seven years after we filmed our last shot, that it would be the most watched show in television yeah. and that, that they would make a huge play to bring it back to their new streaming service, the Peacock. Um, right. It just was, was never dealt with in that way. And so I think part of what interests me, when people ask me what my favorite episodes of the show are, for example, there are hilarious episodes, moving episodes that I never mentioned because how my mind works actually is I'm like, well, this was a great episode and it was the first time we hit 10 million viewers. This is a great episode and it aired after the Super Bowl. Like the larger macro context is something that's really interesting to me. So for the podcast, we wanted to bring that in. Yeah, that there was a change in ownership at NBC and the show was viewed as a certain way. Part of it, not their fault. The ratings were declining, but streaming was happening. So ratings were declining everywhere. So, yeah. Do you, do you remember the first episode that got 10 million viewers? Yes. The... the um, the Christmas episode of right. uh, the first, the first Christmas episode of the second season. The That's where uh, the teapot. teapot. Yes. The y- Yankee swap. And yes. Um, and, and that was where, and, and was also the, uh, the video iPod was uh, invented, was right. launched and we were on that and we became the number one show on that. And so the, yeah, so that was a really, I thought, hilarious episode. Every single person in the ensemble had something to do, including mm-hmm. Meredith showing her breasts at the end, <laughs> which is one of my favorite moments right. in like the entire show. But also all these other things, you know, happened at that time, which bring back fond memories for me. I, I want to get into one thing in that because it ties into your your podcast. But I also, just for the record, I don't want to be like some sort of poser or lead you on. I'm also one of those people that didn't watch it when it was on NBC and then watch it on Netflix, which right. ties into that. There's a great, one of the great episodes of your podcast talks about how you guys did that Christmas episode. And obviously a big part of it was the video iPod that Michael Scott buys for Ryan, which that alone is tremendous right there. Nothing else needs to be said. Right. Um, but 
that ended up being a big help for the show because people then started giving those out for Christmas to family members. And you, you guys are one of the first shows, I guess, that could have been downloaded on it. Is that? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that that um, that episode of the podcast, we talk about everything that happened in that second season um, that that needed to go right for us to stay on the air. And and it did. And a huge part of that was, yeah, the video iPod and and NBC Universal at the time making a deal with Apple for, you know, us to be on there uh, with some other shows. And suddenly we realized that more people were watching or wanting to watch. Um, than than was reflected in sort of the regular network television. I mean, I always said, I think we talk about this in the podcast, that like we were kind of getting a hint that young people were watching the show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the time it was Nielsen boxes, right? Like that's how they they determine who's watching. Well, college kids don't have Nielsen boxes, right? right? Like there's no, you know, there's no Nielsen boxes in dorm rooms. So, uh, the video iPod and how people started consuming it there was kind of the first indicator of, Oh wow. Like something, something is, something's happening. Yeah. It's funny too, because I, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't feel like the video iPod had a long shelf life either because the iPhone came along pretty soon after it wasn't like, you know, uh, I don't feel like the video iPod was, it had a quick run. I feel like I could be wrong about that, but yeah. I don't remember exact. I, it was there for a bit, but you're right. The the iPhone uh, came out, but I don't know, man. Like that was so that would have been like 2006. The video iPod, um, yeah, five, yeah, 2000, 2000, the Christmas of 2005, maybe or 2006. Yeah, I don't remember when the first yeah. iPhone was, but. Yeah, it was. They don't show up in the show for a while, right? Well, that's what's funny about the show is those early years is pretty technologically. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Let's just say it's not very tech heavy in in the beginning, the early years of the show. Um, So you mentioned that you also mentioned a Super Bowl episode. That for me is my favorite episode. Is that Super Bowl episode? It's um, I think it's safety training, stress, stress relief, stress right. relief, stress relief. It starts with the fire that yeah. Dwight sets, and then it's a two-parter, and then it has the roast of Michael Scott. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I used to think the first Dundies was my favorite episode, but it's it's definitely stress relief with the Dundee second. Okay, tell me about filming that scene because you're great in that scene running through the office when Dwight sets the fire. Uh, two things. Tell me about filming the hecticness of that scene, and then. Did you feel pressure, you and the cast, because you were air, airing it? Obviously, you felt pressure because you're airing it to the Super Bowl. You know you're going to have a big audience, but how much pressure? Um, I think I think that the pressure was more on the, the, the producer's side. I mean, I talked to Paul Lieberstein, um, who, who was running the show at the time, who played Toby also, uh, about that episode. And I said, was there, did you feel a lot of pressure? And he was like, oh. Yeah, there was a ton and they were, you know, there were things that the network felt like we had to have um, because it was airing after the Super Bowl. And so, you know, again, part of the podcast kind of giving that that perspective, if you watch the show just on Netflix, you may not know that that show aired after the Super Bowl, right. um, that, you know, that, 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 that big scene of the, the fake fire drill happened right afterward. Um, my biggest memory, which it ended up in the show. And then also I, it became this moment cause it, it was then in the later seasons in the opening credits, but 
I'm run. Kevin is running. I'm running. Whoever <laughs> uh, through the kitchen, and the cameraman is uh, is backing up. And that was Randall Einhorn, and we had an assistant camera operator. This big guy, Chris Workman, big guy. Uh, who's like helping to guide the camera because he can't see and he's running backwards and he's trying to make sure he doesn't hit anything or whatever. And I'm running and I guess Randall was not running fast enough. And as I go by, I give him a shoulder. Like I give him a shoulder and he goes down. I mean, just like flat on his back, falls backwards. And Chris picks him up by the shoulders, whoop, sends him back up on his feet and he keeps filming and ends up running out. And that shot, because of how cool it was, ended up in the show, uh, even though I, I, I could have heard him pretty bad. But that, yeah. that's my biggest memory of that. Yeah, that, that, that's it's funny. You're part of two, I think, of the most famous gifts that get used on Twitter with people running around the, the office during the Friday drill. And obviously the chili, chili right. gif is an, is an all timer right there. Um, what's that like to be one of the most famous gifts on Twitter? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if, if you would have uh, asked me then if I thought, you know, you're, you're, you spilling this chili is going to be, you're going to see this on social media every day for the rest of your life. I never, ever yeah. would have believed that. And then I would have asked what social media was. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I mean, how that has taken off uh, is unbelievable. I, I say that that scene uh, shows you that there's two types of people, right? I joke with people who come up to me about it and there's half the people that come up to me are like, man, that is so hilarious. That is the funniest thing I have ever seen. And then there are other people that come up and go, I can't watch it. It makes me so sad. I feel so bad for you. I can't like, I just, yeah. uh, I mean, I love it, but I just make, I think it's somewhere in the middle per right, personally. Right. Um, but to me, I think if you think it's just funny, I think you're a psychopath. I, I, think I do it, think. Yeah. I think yeah. the sadness may come in when he's trying to scoop it off the carpet. That's, yeah. that's the sadness right there. But yeah, it's funny yeah. as a, as a, you know, we're taping this for the sports illustrated media podcast. I mean, it, it's to the point now where I know if, you know, if there's like a big drop in a football game, I just, I don't even get the gif. I just type out Kevin Malone chili gif. Like you don't even have to, I mean, it's just. Right. It's, it's a staple <laughs> right. of the uh, gif is a staple of the sports world. Anytime there's yeah. a drop in a big game. Um, <laughs> I, I want to get into like some fun topics about the office, but I, I want to talk about the pod just for a little bit more because it's so good. Give people just like, if anyone has it, discuss, you know, it's this weird time here with, with Corona and the quarantine where, you know, pods are having a little bit of a, of a struggle finding the audience that they used to have because people aren't commuting. They're not in gyms, but I know yours is doing well. I couldn't recommend it more for any fan of The Office and, and the business of TV. I think it's outstanding. But give people like, you know, how many episodes and what you wanted to accomplish because it's, it's really an outstanding podcast. Yeah, well, it, uh, what we wanted to do or what the idea was, um, was to examine a question, which is why, like, why is it this show? What has happened? What was important in the setup of the creatives in terms of how the show was shot in terms of the cast that has made it endure and, and, and thrive now seven, seven years since we did our final shot on the show, it is by any metric, the most watched show in television. And so for me, it was really trying to figure out why. And so to do that, kind of going back, 
and the origin of the original British office with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant and figuring out you know, how it was found by Ben Silverman and brought over to the United States and then putting the cast together. And, and again, giving people the real story. It's not, it's not, nothing needed to be added for drama, but in terms of those first two years, how much it really almost never survived. Like, yeah. and that, and, and that for us, while we were doing it, even Angela Kenzie tells a story of, um, you know, we had done our 12th episode and, and we were sure that it was done. And she went to her trailer and took her nameplate off of her trailer and put it in her bag. And we packed up and left and truly thought we were never coming back. Um, and, and, and so to give people an idea as they're watching 200 and whatever episodes on Netflix that, that, that it almost didn't survive. And I think what that does is it gives people as if they know that history and you're watching the show, uh, the show again on Netflix or whatever, you see how the show changes, how subtle things um, were adapted or changed based on what was happening externally um, in, in the world, but also in the world of, of the show and NBC and, and how much we were struggling. So, um, but really it's, a, it's an exploration for me of what, why, why, why are young people now watching it? Yeah. Like what, how is that? It's interesting too, because when you binge on it, I mean, I remember I binged it on Netflix. I think I watched the entire series in like a month. I, I definitely think you have a different perspective of the show than if you were someone who watched it week to week on NBC, especially like I remember not watching The Office and I remember having people in my Sports Illustrated office who did watch The Office. And I remember the Jim Pam wedding being a big deal, obviously. And a lot of like, it was a lot of like, finally, finally, finally. But when you binge it on Netflix, it doesn't feel as drawn out. So it's a right. different, it's such a different um, experience when you do it that way too. Right. Well, and you know, a lot of, uh, I have a lot of people who talk to me about the, the, the idea of streaming and why the office works so well in terms of streaming. And again, I don't know, maybe I'm a TV nerd, but this is interesting to me. Like they were making a, sh they meaning the writers, producers, mm -hmm. but the writers really, they were making a show for streaming before streaming existed and they didn't know it. Yeah. And one of the things they talked about was uh, the writers on the office would all often look at the, at, at the stories in like four to six episode chunks. So like, you know, for those of you who haven't watched the show, like Idris Elba is on the show for like, uh, it's four, four to six episodes. Um, Michael Scott leaves and he starts the Michael Scott paper company. That's like four to six episodes. You know, th there's tons of examples of this, but Will Ferrell is in for four episodes. Um, and, and what that does is if you're streaming, you can watch in a night or a couple of days or whatever, like, oh, this is the Michael Scott Paper Company um, uh, story. And so you have a story that kind of carries you through and there's an overall story, but there's all these little stories that last four to six episodes, you know, Ed Helms coming in to the show and right. Jim leaving and coming back. And, um, and so in a way that's sort of um, serialized little mini stories that people can consume in one night or whatever, um, I think has contributed to the success of, of it on streaming as well.
And it's funny because you and I are both, we're meant, we've mentioned Netflix and it's going to go to Peacock and, and we've talked about streaming. But, you know, I, I don't think we should also lose sight of the fact that, like, it's on Comedy Central, basically, <laughs> 24-7, too, which, you know, I, I'm older, right? So I still have a TV with cable. I'm not an all-streaming person. And the younger people I work with would make fun of me because I would be like, oh, the Dinner Party Off episode is on Comedy Central. Like, oh, why don't you just stream it? I'm like, well, I'm old, so I still like to flip the channels around. And I like it's almost like a little surprise. Like I'll be watching, let's say a Yankee game. It's in between innings. I flip over and like, you know, there's Michael and the dinner party episode. It's like, Oh, it's a nice little surprise for a few. So I, you know, there's that element of it too. I mean, comedy central runs that thing like crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, it's yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously now I travel a lot and I feel like every time I turn on the TV in a hotel there, it's, it's on or do you, in the airplanes. Do too. you, do you watch or do you change it? Um, you know, it's a good question. I would say that mm, there is a lot of things that I have done, meaning work that I have done that I have never watched, not because I thought it was bad or because I hated somebody or I didn't, it's just, it's as a, you know, as someone who came from theater, I think that's part of it is once it's done, it's done and I can't change it or make it better. There's nothing for me to do anymore. Like watching myself doesn't give me a particular pleasure. I don't know. Like some people I think like that, that's not a thing for me. The office I always watch. I I watched when it was live. Um, I watched, uh, you know, we started the first couple of years we were watching every episode that when it was on in somebody's house, like we went to writer's house or an actor's house and we would watch the show. And quite frankly, we really only stopped because once the show really took off, we were often still at work when the show was on. So we didn't do that uh, anymore. But I watched, I think, every episode when it aired or, you know, the next day or whatever. Um, I, I had picked up a scene or an episode here or there uh, in, in a, in an airport or, uh, you know, on a, airplane or mostly not ordering it myself, but like watching the person right. next to me right. um, or in a hotel gotta, room. That's got to be a trip when you're on an airplane and the guy next to you is watching the office. That's it's very, it's very strange. And then, yeah. and then when you get the elbow and they're like, ah, ah, that's, <laughs> that's not, that's not fun for yeah. those of you wondering. Um, but I, about, um, it was actually before I started the podcast. Um, I would say maybe about a year ago, 16 months ago, I was like, okay, it's, it's, it's time. And I sat down and watched just beginning to, I binged it. I did what, you know, other people do. And I felt like it was, it was time. And, um, I was part of, again, like why I wanted to be involved in the podcast. Like I was going, this really holds up. Like, I mean, for me anyway, Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. it holds, it holds up. It's still making me laugh and it's not, you know, at my friends, like it's really about the characters and the show. And um, so, yes, I don't watch a, um, an episode here and there. I don't do that very often. Yeah. Um, But, but yes, I I have recently gone back and watched the whole thing. So when you, when you went back and watched it 16 months ago, whatever it was, did you come away with it um, with any thoughts about I wish we could have done this with Kevin or I wish we maybe did this differently with Kevin or I wish Kevin could have maybe, you know, did this scene with, you know, whoever. Um, 
No, I didn't then. I mean, there are things I actually talk about in the podcast. I went to the writer's room at, at one point um, and I pitched that Kevin should get together with Aaron, the new receptionist. Um, and there were, there was sort of on the rocks. I don't, they weren't sort of committed to her being with Andy. There were some issues there. Um, I wish that had, ha- I, that would have been a fun one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were, there were things here and there, but um, no, I, I, I know, I guess it's kind of a boring answer. I, yes. I really just watched, I really just watched it to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. When you, so if you're walking down the street, you're in an airport, you're in a bar, well, we're not anywhere these days, but when those days are happening, what's the thing you get said to you the most from fans? Is there like a, you know, is there a lot, you know, is it about the chili? Is it a, is it something else? What, what's like the thing you always hear the most from an office fan? Something about chili. Oh, it for, is, for, it is. oh yeah. yeah, for sure. It's something about chili. In fact, I told the story though. This made me laugh, which I, I thought I was be like, I didn't think there was any, any, any sort of created, uh, creative, uh, line, I guess, like approach line that someone could give me. But I was, um, I was on a work trip in the hotel. I was eating, uh, sitting at the bar by myself and, um, I'm sitting and I, I had finished my food and the bartender walks over and he puts down food in front of me. And I said, Oh no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, he goes, no, that's from the girl at the end of the bar. And I look over and I look down and it's a, a bowl of chili. Oh, chili. And I thought, okay, well that, that, that's a, that's, that's pretty funny. Like that, that's, I, that's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. That's better yeah. than just shouting something out or something. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty good. Um, I'll, I will get, um, there was an episode that, uh, Kevin attempted to say things with as few words as possible. Um, and I will get some variation of a line from that quite a bit yeah. as well. Yeah. I, the my favorite Kevin moments, I think, are when Jim and Pam get married in the shoes or the tissue boxes, which is just phenomenal, phenomenal visual. Yes. And um, it's I'm gonna okay. So this is like a really inside story that I'm gonna try to tell as clearly as possible. So Kyle Brandt, who's on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, he recently started yes. his own podcast. His first guest was Aaron Rodgers. Yes, and he asked Aaron Rodgers a trivia question about the office. And I am the one who gave Kyle that trivia question that he asked Aaron okay. Rodgers. And the question was, in the Christmas episode with the dueling Christmas parties, Kevin does karaoke to a song. What was the song? And it took Aaron Rodgers like a minute to get it, and then he got it. Do you remember, considering you sang the song, what it was? You know, I am. I, the answer is yes. Okay. I am not good at office trivia. Because it's been a long time since we filmed it. I watched it. I'm probably a little better now because I watched it again. But, you know, the guys who have watched it like five, ten times, like I can't compete. Uh, but that was uh, Alanis Morissette, yes. You Ought to Know. And, yes. I, and that was a brilliant performance when you sang that as a, a very angry Kevin Malone, I must say. That was phenomenal. And Aaron Rodgers remembered that, too. So that's a good... So you're, you're a big sports fan, right? 
Uh, I'm a huge, huge sports fan. Give me like um, your favorite sports in order. If you had to like rank them. Um, I love football, baseball, and basketball, but not really in that order. I would say it flips back and forth, probably depending on the season. Um, and I also play a lot of golf. Um, and in fact, uh, that's how you like develop the relationship with Aaron Rodgers, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Cause that is, that is correct. We play yeah. a lot of golf together. We met each other at the uh, American century championships in Lake Tahoe. And in fact, I'll tell that story really quickly. Um, we were playing blackjack at a table and I, I, I did not know who he was and he was a fan of the office and knew who I was. Now, once he said his name, I was like, Oh, I was going to say, how did you not know who he was? If you're a big football fan? Well, this was, as soon as he said his name, I was like, oh, you're the guy who's never going to play because of Brett Favre. <laughs> I, met, I met him the summer before he was to be the starter. Okay. So by looks, sitting next to him at, at the thing, I, I did not know who he was. Um, but yes, we became friends there. I, uh, I, I don't, do I like, football is probably my favorite. Um, but I, you know, I, I played basketball and, and baseball more growing up and I, I'm a fan of all. What do you, what do you think about this season with no fans in the stands at NFL games? I don't know how that's going to be. I will say that for, I think for the basketball this year, it's been great. Yeah. They have done a phenomenal job. Yeah. I feel like, and not, not just not the crowds. I, I don't know the crowd. But the, the intimacy of it, the players feel like – it feels to me like they're really playing. I felt like – or I thought – I had an expectation that it was going to be kind of like watching a pickup game or something. I don't know mm -hmm. what I thought. Yeah. Um, no, it, looks very, it looks very good on television. It looks very good on television. And, um, you know, like, do I think that the virtual fans are good? I don't know. But I, it hasn't bothered me. I've enjoyed watch, just watching the sport. Yeah. Um, Football is going to be different though. Yeah. And baseball for me is, a, is, is a, is a little bit different too. I agree. I, I, I agree. think, I think the intimacy, uh, and obviously there's nothing they can do about it in baseball. The intimacy of the, of the, of the court uh, in, in basketball, I think helps a lot. Like you're not forced to look at kind of these big areas of no people sitting there. Um, I think football is going to be tough. I think it's, I don't know. Yeah. Traveling that many people around feels very problematic for me. Well, but the, what, what, what the NFL has going for it is they only have to travel once a week and they don't have to really stay in hotels. It's one night in and out of a city, you know, baseball, they're going on road trips for 10 days. The NBA, they're obviously in the bubble. So it's different. I think football has that advantage where they go in on a Saturday and as soon as the game's over on Sunday, they're out. So but still, like, what are you? And I'm not. I don't, I'm not trying to argue. But I, no, no, I, we can argue. <laughs> I think. I think my feeling is is like the baseball. And by the way, they they haven't been perfect. Right. But you're talking about forty guys, right? right. I, I mean, that's a get. Like coaches play. That's you know everyone who's playing. Some you know auxiliary coaches personnel. I mean, football is going to be close to a hundred. Right. Yeah. And no doubt. I don't know that. Just trying to keep that many people not making a bad decision when they're not there. Yeah. Feels difficult. And that I, 
I do wonder if, you know, there were all these problems when baseball first started with the Marlins. And I wonder if other teams now, even outside of baseball, saw like, oh, we've got to take this seriously and have some personal Maybe. responsibility here. I'm hoping that's the case. Um, before we wrap up, um, I, I, I want to ask you one last thing about The Office and for everyone listening an oral history of The Office on Spotify. You must listen to it if you are an Office fan, and I'm sure most people listening to this are an Office fan. Um, one of the things that all Office fans loves are the bloopers. Your show has some of the best bloopers um, from any show. Um, do you ever go? I now I would assume, like again, I you know you ask someone who's on a show, do you watch the episodes? It's kind of, but you ever go on YouTube and watch the bloopers? I have seen the bloopers. Okay. Yes. I have seen the bloopers. You're part of what I think there, if I, if I could be wrong, but I think that there's the two most famous bloopers are you sitting on Steve Carell's lap. And what's great about that is in the actual show, it's actually a blooper in the show because you can see Andy Bernard at Helms leaving and leaving the shot and coming into the shot while laughing. And I think Mindy's losing it as well. Mindy Kaling. Yes. And obviously I think the other famous blooper is Steve Carell with the TV surround sound that he pushes yeah. into the wall and John Krasinski yeah. with just the greatest laugh of all time. In the, um, when you were doing the show, I'm, this may be the dumbest question you've ever been asked. Is there ever, can you, do you ever tape a full show without a blooper or are there always bloopers in every show that's taped? There's always bloopers. Always bloopers. There's always bloopers. And what, on average, how many would you say per episode? Because we see the shows and it looks like such a well-oiled machine, but I got to say, when we go, when I watch those bloopers on YouTube, it looks like you know, it's it's pretty often. Well, there. you know, I mean, I was going to say dozens. I mean, wow. I, I, you know, there are one like, I think that in terms of the group stuff, yes, the one with Steve, you're absolutely right with the television. Um, <laughs> the the thing about the. Um, the one where, where Kevin sits on Michael's lap is that everybody was there. Right. And that's kind of the one that everyone goes to. I remember that the, the another one was with Steve or sorry, with Michael Scott as prison Mike. <laughs> that was a really, and, and the other thing is, is that conference room is not any bigger than it looks like it's really tight. So we're all tight in there. So they're, becomes a little bit of that like punchy uh, yeah. thing that happens with just a group of people close together for a long period of time. Um, but the, the other specific thing about the show that, that, you know, makes maybe bloopers mo happen more than on other shows is that we were given the, um, we always had to film exactly what was shot, right? Mm -hmm. We're big corporation, NBC, you've got to, you know, they approve scripts and we have to shoot that. But we were always given the the latitude to to improvise and to make changes. So a lot of the stuff are is just laughing because you're not expecting it to happen. The the Kevin sitting on Michael's lap that was just a thing, and Steve, and it was just that was just funny. But a lot of times with with improvising, you, somebody says something that's really funny that you were not expecting. Right. It's very hard to not. Is there a scene you can tell us? Is, is there a scene that stands out to you where the laughing and the um, the breaking up got so bad that it it was like the longest to film because of the constant breaking up or laughing? Is there like I, I would imagine the scene where you're sitting on his lap took a, a while maybe to finally get it done? I think that was it. That I was think, it. Right? I think that was it. 
I, for me personally, actually, um, and I could not not laugh. Um, and so I decided, I knew the script and I knew what was coming later. And so I decided to incorporate me laugh slash smiling into what was coming next. And that was um, Amy Ryan, who played Holly, oh, yeah. is helping Kevin at the vending machine. Yeah, I was going to yeah. And she, and she and I have she thinks that I need help doing right. things and I hold up my hand and she's telling she says this is a dime and this is a nickel and this and then she says and this is a button which is f so funny to me because <laughs> it's literally like the fact that she thinks that she has to describe to me what a button is and let me know that it's not money right. and the care that she has in her eyes and her face. I could, it made me laugh every time. It's a great scene in the show and a great blooper. It works both ways yes. too. And you, the way you deliver the line, I think you say like, I like pretzels, but the way you, I mean, that's so much, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to sit here and tell you about comedy. That would be ridiculous, but it's so much how someone says a line and the way you say that line is so great in that episode. Right. Well, um, what, I, what I figured out was the next line that I was going to say that we were going to cut away from was, I'm totally going to bang Holly. Yeah, yeah. So that I think, okay. So I was like, okay, I can smile here, which is really Brian smiling, but I can turn it into a grin like, oh, I'm going to tell the camera what I'm really going to do. Yeah. And that's the only way I got through that. Yeah. Uh, that that is a great blooper for sure. Was John Krasinski's laugh a thing on the set? Because when he loses it, he goes into a laugh that's pretty it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty but good. Yes. Um, I appreciate all the time. You mentioned one thing. If you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you one last thing because you mentioned the conference room. Did you, did you, there was a thing on Twitter a couple of years ago, and when I first saw the tweet, it blew my mind away because I never put two and two together watching the whole series. But someone tweeted like, "Has anyone ever noticed in the office how when Michael says, you know, conference room five minutes?" Sometimes you're set up with rows of chairs and sometimes you have the big conference desk in the middle. Yes. And no one really picked up, like it always changed. I think the idea was just like a regular conference room. Like there were, um, there were scenarios where there would be conferences that would happen. And if we needed more people and more chairs, then somebody without, you know, they probably called somebody from the warehouse and said, you got to move this table out of here. Right. I think that, I think it was as simple as yeah. that. Where did the table go? That was one of the big things on Twitter. Oh, where did the table ago. go? Yeah. Where did the table it's go? Probably out in the hallway. I appreciate you uh, taking the trip down memory lane. Cause you know, I'm a huge fan of the show and I, I do love the podcast and oral history of the office hosted by Brian Baumgartner. And it is on Spotify. Brian, That's thanks cool. a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, joining me now, someone who's been on before, excellent guest, and she has a big life change going on. It's Renee Young, who's now Renee Paquette again. Yes, she's back, bitches. Am I, I allowed to swear on your show? I yes, forgot. you can swear. Okay, can swear. great. I love when the WWE people have to, when they change their names. Like, I remember one day, you know, randomly on Twitter, I saw Dolph Ziggler became Nick Nemeth, and I was like, right. was he leaving? Like, what's going on? You know, the whole name thing is <laughs> I always, always feel like that's the thing that throws everybody off, because, you know, I my, it wasn't, like, officially changed, but it just said Renee Paquette on some of my stuff. And that's it, always sort of like the indicator, but it is funny with so many people that were let go from WWE, you started to see all these name changes yeah. happen anyways. So as much as I was like, a, not, not like worried about it. I mean, you think about like the, the value that comes in a name that people are just the familiarity of it. Um, but I felt good to go back to Paquette. It felt yeah. really nice. I was like super pumped about it because, you know, I was like thinking about it as I'm leaving. I'm like, hey, do I go back to Paquette or am I going to start going by good? Now, how, so how I was, you settle on young when you when you went with that. So I settled on young. So initially, when I um, when I started working for WWE, they sent me an email that was just like in the subject Renee Sterling, and I was like, 
who is that? Excuse me. Um, Cause I, I didn't know that um, as an announcer broadcaster, that my name was going to be changed. And man, so many of the girls that came after me that were spared that are so lucky that they didn't have to go through that. But, um, but anyways, it was from Neil Young. I was going okay. through, um, I, I hated Sterling, wanted to change it. So they're like, all right, send us a couple other ones. So I sent them um, Renee Ryan, which is uh, my aunt's married name. Uh, Rustin for Audrey Hepburn, Rogers for Prince. So I had all these like musical ones and all these like alliterations, but then I gave right. them Young for Neil Young and that's okay. what they bid on. That's so good. It was a nice homage. I was yeah. happy to, to carry on a little, little Canadian uh, history and culture, but. So here's a, here's a funny story about WWE names. I've told this, I think once before, but it involves your husband. So I'll tell it quickly. So when he first left WWE, he had said some things about Vince and the storylines and all that. And sure the did. day he did that, I had Seth Rollins on this podcast and Seth took some shots at, at, okay. So I was calling him Dean Ambrose on the podcast at the time and it became a big thing. <laughs> and then I was, I mean, as you know, obviously there are some WWE fans who are a bit unhinged, maybe <laughs> just putting it politely. You don't say. So I was, I started getting, I started getting tweets from people who thought that I was in on this with Seth, Seth Rollins and it was a work. <laughs> and I set it up because during the podcast, him and I kept referring to your husband as Dean Ambrose, sure. and not John Moxley. Sure. So they thought it was all set up because we didn't use his real, it was one of the most <laughs> things I've experienced. It's all very weird. Um, yeah. And it's also delicate to people. Some people take the smallest thing so seriously or think that that's a shoot, brother, where it's like, all right, everyone relax. It's just, again, it's the familiarity. When, you know, you think of John Moxley with Seth Rollins, you you go to thinking of Dean Ambrose, obviously. Right. Well, you know, the thing. don't want him no foul. Yeah, it's a podcast, so I'm trying to appeal to the most people, so that's why I'm saying Dean Ambrose. And yeah. People took that as a cue, apparently. Yeah, especially even like, it's funny, uh, John and I were just talking about that with the name change, because I was like, man, I've, like, I mean, because personally, I go by Renee Good. Legally, I am Renee Good. So I've not even called myself Renee Paquette in three years. Right. So now to be saying it again out loud, I'm like, oh my God, it feels like foreign almost to say it. And he said the same thing when he switched back to being John Moxley. He was like, wait, what? So now you're going to get, you're going to get Renee Young, Renee Paquette and Renee Good. Like you get, I get everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get like Good, Paquette. <laughs> I, I still get like Ambrose, Moxley. I'm like all over the place. That's funny. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm all over the place. How was your first week of unemployment? Weird. So I, I shouldn't even say like weird. It's just like, it's adjusting to the pacing, which, you know, with everything going on with COVID and the pandemic and everything, it has made everyone had to slow down anyway. So that's probably made it a little bit easier on me that my life has already slowed down considerably. But um, yeah, so I finished up at SummerSlam, flew home to Las Vegas, then John and I had the, grabbed the dogs and then we came back out to Florida. So we're in Jacksonville. Now we're going to be here for two weeks because he's got shows and pay-per-views and whatnot. Right. Um, so I feel like I've not even really let it settle in. Yesterday I had like a weird day where I was just like, I need to do something. I need to start working on something. I need to start a show. I need to start doing all this stuff. And those are things that I want to do. But I think my like knee jerk reaction is to like, hurry up and let's go work and do something instead of just like, you know, absorbing everything going on, sort of letting myself go through um, the roller coaster of emotions with right. everything. It's, it's all very- well, you're doing the cookbook. I'm doing the cookbook, but the cookbook's done. Oh, it's done. I, it's okay. written. It's written. Uh, we shot it all. So it was just like a whirlwind of a couple weeks, too, of like 
leaving WWE, making that all official, having those conversations and just like, you know, getting over the hump of all that weirdness while also in the midst of finishing my cookbook, we were shooting all of the photos for it. We shot the cover, did all the inside artwork. So that was like, woof, what an overhaul that was. So it was, just, it was a busy like two weeks that now yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay, the cookbook's done. I mean, we still have to, you know, figure out the rest of the artwork and get into production and whatnot, but uh, the heavy lifting part of it's done. So now I just get to kind of hang out. Yeah, so tell me, tell me two things. When did you decide to leave WWE and why did you decide to leave WWE? And then I'll ask you if you're going to AW later and keep, <laughs> and keep people hanging because I know that's what they want to know. Keep them hanging. Keep them hanging. Um, when when so, and why? So I, I don't know that there was like a definitive, like I'm leaving now. Um, you know, I, I think when backstage got canceled, um, that was really the moment for me. I, you know, backstage got canceled. I got COVID. A lot of shit just kind of happened. But it was, it, you know, the COVID thing aside, it was just, that was just sort of like the icing on the cake that yeah. I'm at home. I get my diagnosis. That same day I find out the backstage gets canceled. But it was really with that, with backstage being canceled that I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not really doing anything anymore. And my skill set of being a host there's just nowhere for me to do it anymore. Right. Um, you know, even with, uh, with, with talking smack coming back and, you know, I had heard the rumblings that talking smack was making its way back. And if, you know, I was planning on perhaps maybe doing that, but I was like, you know what? I just feel like I'm taking steps backwards. I'm sort of spinning my wheels to go back into a show, to not be doing it with Brian, to not be doing it with Mike Mansuri, who also is no longer with WWE. But that was sort of the magic of what that show was to me. I mean, it's doing its own cool thing right now. Kudos to Biggie and Miz and Kayla Braxton with everything that they've been doing. But um, yeah, it was, it was all that stuff kind of happening at once and just being like, what am I doing here? I've checked off all the things I've been able to do. Uh, stepping away from, from doing commentary, which you know ultimately kind of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So going and working for Fox was incredible. And I'll still be doing stuff for Fox as we're kind of figuring out what that looks like with WWE and Fox, but I'm still going to be working with them on, on that side of things. So that's cool. But yeah, I was just not really having any platforms within WWE and just spinning my wheels. I'm, I'm turning 35. It's like kind of shit or get off the boat. It's time to start making some other moves. Otherwise I'm just going to stay here forever and not really be proud of my accomplishments anymore. Were, were you shocked when talking smack was canceled? Cause I know I was because yeah. one, it's not like FS1 has all, all this programming to put on. Two. Oh, you mean when easy, backstage got canceled? Backstage, backstage, yeah. I meant. Um, two, it's an easy show to produce during a pandemic, really. Mm -hmm. And then um, three, I mean, Fox is all in on SmackDown. So I was yeah. surprised they did that. Were you, were you surprised? I was a little bit surprised. I mean, the sense that, you know, we get kind of like this vague email of like, we all have to have a Zoom call today. And I was like, what? So I messaged one of the producers and I was like, hey, what's going on? Is this like bad news? And he's like normally really great with like, you know, keeping me in the loop with stuff. And he didn't respond to me. And I was like, oh, um, shit, something is up. Because, you know, he didn't want to like lie to me. So he just right. kind of turned a blind, uh, turned, turned the other cheek a little bit, waiting until we all had the conversation. But um, yeah, you know, it, it sucks that Backstage got canceled. I think that it was starting to get in its groove, but also I think think the show still could have been so much more than it was it to me it started to feel like it was just another wwe kickoff show and that mm. was not what 
the heart of the project started out as. And I think that was another thing that was like just a little bit disheartening to me because like going to work for Fox, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Now we can like really kind of get out from under the thumb. I mean, you guys always hear the, the stories of just like being overproduced and whatnot. So to be able to get away from that and get under the Fox umbrella, I was like, oh my God, we can like finally start doing some stuff. And then it was like, no, yeah. we can't. Our hands are still kind of tied. So we had a great crew. I loved doing that show. I thought, you know, we we were getting onto something, but uh, yeah, I know it, it's a bummer. What, what, I'm gonna... Was there anything specific you wanted to do or talk about where they shut it down on you? Um, I think it was just some more of the controversial stuff. I mean, you know, anytime, you know, you have like punk on the show too, it's a little bit like, are we going to say something that's going to like upset people and ruffle the feathers where, you know, not even that that's the case of what we're trying to do, but you know, you're trying to do a show where you can be authentic and talk about stuff. I mean, even if you want to bury something, so to speak, um, it just would feel like it was becoming a little bit sensitive Mm -hmm. to talk about things. It felt like we just kind of had to put everything over that was good or kind of skirt over stuff that was bad and have that omitted from the show right and when they came out with that show they pegged it as not being that kind yeah. of show i also yeah. think i mean please don't call me jacob Baldwin. i love you but i think they <laughs> they oversold i love you too jacob i, I love think you they too. oversold the cm punk thing because i know me i mean i this is always my weird thing with wrestling is that i come at it two different ways i have to come at it from like oh i'm a fan of wrestling and then like i cover media and right. The impression I got as both of those people was that Punk was going to be on every week. Right. And right. it sort of was like he was on once in a while. And I think if you had him on every week. That guy doesn't work cheap. What can we yeah. say? He comes yeah. with a price. Well, I didn't know, too, if <laughs> WWE was just basically, you know, having diarrhea anytime he was on because you just never know what he's going to say. But you know what? I, I don't even think that it went that way because he never real. I mean, you know, there was a few things when him and Miz got into a spat and some of that stuff got a little bit weird. But other than that, like he didn't do anything all that controversial to really upset a lot of people. So as much as I think there at first, it was a little bit like, Ugh, how's this going to go? And what's he going to say? I think once he was on more and more familiar, I mean, it's not like he wants to come on and just shit on everything. Right. I mean, right. what's the point of that? But I do know that, that people sort of expect that to a certain degree. So I yeah. don't know. You expect him not to have the normal takes that everyone yeah. else would have. Right. Um, right. So when you decide to leave, do you go to Vince? Do you go to Triple H? Do you go to who's in charge of the broadcasting? Kevin Dunn? Like, who do you go to when you decide to leave? So I've been talking to Michael Cole. He um, is essentially like the point person for the whole broadcast division in WWE. Uh, he's also a great friend of mine. So it was interesting sort of balancing the conversation between like, Hey, I'm talking to you as my boss, but also like as my friend, what's your advice? He was actually really helpful at wearing both of those hats. And the thing that's funny too, is that I think everyone understood there was nobody that I talked to. I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to bow out now. It seems like the time's perfect. I want to wrap up at SummerSlam. We um, Booker T and I hosted a, a best of SummerSlam moment thing that was on Fox. So I wanted to go in to do that. I wanted to end at SummerSlam. Um, they're like, hey, why don't you come and do payback and then be done after that? And I was like, no, no, no. I want to leave it. I want to leave it one of the, the major pay-per-views, even though right. payback was a great pay-per-view. But um, but yeah, it, nobody really tried to talk me out of it. I think everyone's seen the frustration sort of build for me over the years. And going back to live TVs and having to be in Florida every week, like that was something I was just like, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. And to do what? To show up on SmackDown and do some like random backstage interviews. Like, again, it was just a step back where Mm -hmm. I kept feeling like I was being promised, you know, coming off of commentary and um, Raw and SmackDown splitting the way that they were between Fox and USA. 
and me being billed as a, a special contributor. And that just never turned into anything. I right. kept trying to make different pitches for different ways to use me to make it feel special and unique and change up the way that, you know, just from a broadcast standpoint. And I think that that's something that Fox wanted too, was just changing up the feel and the vibe of it. But give me, um, give me one of those pitches. I'm curious what you would have wanted. I really, I actually really wanted them to use me the same way that UFC uses Megan O'Leary. Um, I think she has such um, a presence on their broadcast. I love the shots that they do of those like walk and talks, people walking out during the entrances, standing up on the, uh, on the side of the octagon. That was something that I thought would be That's really, really cool. cool. Yeah, I thought yeah. that would have been fun. Or, uh, you know, one of the other pitches was just basically making me the host of SmackDown. I opened the show. I welcome everybody. tossed to stuff. Um, that was another option that we've been kind of floating around. But um, it seemed like everything going on, too, like at that time with COVID happening. Now we're working at a performance center. The shows are kind of being raked through the mud. People aren't happy with stuff. What's going on with these shows that trying to get in there and make these new pitches was just like, it was all falling on deaf ears. I couldn't get anyone's time. I couldn't get in to really talk to anyone to, to really solidify those pitches. I could send out emails and texts, which um, were ultimately not even responded to. So uh, yeah, you get a little bit disheartened and just go, okay, I guess this just isn't for me anymore. And yeah, showing up to just do interviews again was like, I've been there and I've done that. And uh, you know, I think I'm, beyond that at this point that to to do that and just be a presence on the show just for it uh didn't feel like the right move to me anymore uh so you've mentioned COVID a couple of times you ended up testing positive for COVID tell me about what that experience was like did you um know you had it were you feeling symptoms how bad was it how long were you not 100 percent uh I knew that I had it I would say almost right away so it was really interesting that um, you know, when WWE first found out, it was like everything hit the dirt sheets of somebody in the crowd has COVID and we all, that's when we all had to go in and get tested. So I went in, got tested. My results came back as negative. That was on like the Tuesday of whatever week that was, you know, what, three months ago, two, two and a half months ago. Um, I flew home that next morning because uh, I was like, I don't want to be around this stuff. I don't need to get COVID again. I'm not really doing anything on the show, so I don't feel like I'm essential talent at this point. I'm going to take my ass home. I also would love to not get my husband sick. That would be great. Thank God he didn't get sick. Um, so anyways, but when I got home that Wednesday, I'm at the airport and I was like, I just feel like I can't breathe right now. And I'm wearing my mask at the airport. I just felt like I couldn't get a full breath or my nose was really congested. I just thought that it was from, you know, wearing a mask, walking around the airport. But then, uh, over the days I might, you know, I'm a heavy chested, just tired. I was really, really tired. And my joints were really achy. My elbows hurt, my hips hurt, my knees hurt. Um, and then I lost my smell and my taste the night. So we ended up getting to be a big one for a lot of people, especially I think people in like the maybe, I don't know, 30 to 50 age range. You hear that a lot from people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a trip. Um, so John, the whole time he was like, I don't think you have it. He thinks I'm like the world's biggest hypochondriac and he's not wrong every now and then I'm like, Oh my God, this is it. I'm going down. So he's kind of rolling his eyes at me a little bit during it. But, um, we, we both got tested at home and we're going to bed and, uh, he gets his test results. Cause it takes like three to five days, whatever. So he gets his and it comes back negative. So he's like, Oh hell yeah, we're fine. See, I, I told you, I told you, if I don't, if I don't have it, you don't have it. Dropping the, I told you. Yeah. Oh my God. He loves it. He loves yeah. to do that. 
Um, so 10 minutes later, I get my results. I was like, I'm positive. I told you I had it. I knew I had it. I knew in my gut that I had it. Um, so it sucked. And, you know, I think I was, you know, in the pretty normal range of what I had. I mean, yeah, the heavy chest, just tired, achy headaches, a little bit of like confusion. I basically had every symptom except for a fever. I never got fever. Um, which is funny because I know that's one thing that everyone just keeps testing. For well, that, yeah, like I went to the Apple thing. store the other day and they took my temperature and I'm just yeah, like, okay, doesn't but do anything. just because I don't have a temperature doesn't mean yeah. it's just, and you know, I don't know. Yeah, that yeah. sort of was a big glaring thing to me that I was like, man, I'm like, I'm sick and I, I would have easily, I can walk in anywhere. I don't have a yeah. fever. But anyway, so it lasted like, I would say three weeks but wow. it still creeps up every now and then as it like exits your body. I find, um, and it's hard to say even because, you know, we're all just stuck at home kind of not really doing all that much. I'm like, man, I still feel tired sometimes. Or when I'm working out, my muscles don't seem to recover the same way that they used to. I just feel like a little sluggish overall. Well, I mean, I, that's the thing about it. I don't want to get into a whole thing about Corona, but like people still just don't know what the after effects are. Yeah. I mean, People act yeah. like they know everything, but they don't know anything. Nobody knows anything. Yeah. yeah. And it just affects everybody so differently. So it sucks, but I'm all right and I'm healthy and it's, it's all good. But yeah, it's, oh, it's scary good. when that happens. It's scary when you don't have the information. You're like, great. Of course I get it. Cool. Trying to figure it all out. But then like the anxiety hits where you're constantly doom scrolling and being like, oh my God, my, my brain's going <laughs> to explode. And this is going to happen. So you're kind of like, continually waiting for the other shoe to drop where shit just really hits the fan. But yeah. luckily that didn't happen. And how did WWE handle? I, I think the rumors and the dirt sheets were that they were mad that you put it out there on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because uh, I, I generally just like to be transparent about everything. I like to just be honest about it. There's no shame in having got it again. We don't know what's going on with, anything like we're all trying to figure it out so I, I didn't even think when I tweeted that I had it I wasn't doing it as a like you I got COVID and blah, blah, blah. like I, that was not my MO right. when I tweeted it it was mostly just like hey I have it also in case there are people that could have been around me and maybe seen that I had it I felt a responsibility to make sure people knew that I was sick right um but yeah it was uh not well received how, how um, soon after your tweet did you hear from someone well, I tweeted it in the evening and uh, yeah. evening West Coast time. So by the time I woke up was like a couple texts. You shouldn't have, not even that like you shouldn't have posted it, but it was like, we really wish that you gave us a heads up that you were going to post it. It was, you know, bad for PR and whatnot. Um, but again, I, I just like, I wouldn't have even thought to be like, hey guys, I'm in a tweet that I have COVID. Ha ha. Like that was just not what I was thinking about when I, when I posted about it. So yeah. I, yeah, I think I don't want to sound paranoid or, or make this about me when it's not, but I think WWE is, they may be, their PR people might be a little upset with me because I wrote early on that they should not have been doing the shows they were doing right. from right. the beginning. So right. now when well, I ask for- They're a little for, sensitive. Yeah. So when I ask for a guest now, I don't hear back, I hear back <laughs> immediately, but um, I, I mean, you know, especially with, you know, the Roman Reigns situation and, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. do you think they handled everything as well as they could have with, I mean, they never shut down. Do you yeah. think like maybe they should have shut it down for a couple of weeks at least? Or do you think the performance center was fine? What, what do you think about that? Well, Not I mean, on the spot. I, I know. I mean, listen, anything I say on this is going to end up seeming like controversial or like I'm like shitting on it or whatever. But like 
Yeah. Did, what did I feel a, a little slighted that um, I didn't really feel like anyone was all that concerned that I got sick. That bothered me for sure. Um, but uh, it, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say again. It's like shit, the show goes on and now they're working at the Amway center and they're, they're essentially doing the best that they can now, now right. doing the proper test. You know, I think that that should have been something that was implemented from the beginning. Um, and you know, since, since everything that's gone down and however many people ended up getting sick now, you know, now it feels like a much safer environment. You know, even when I was there for SummerSlam, I was definitely less concerned about it, knowing that everyone in the building has been properly tested with the nose swab and, and whatnot. But yeah, you know, the, the world's so weird right now. Nobody knows what to do. You look at the right. bubbles that are existing in other sports. And I think the NHL has done probably, you know, the best job so yeah. far with, with everything. Um, but, you know, trying to keep everybody in one spot, being at the airport, getting on a plane, like all that stuff just starts to add up. That's like, shit, you're, you're taking a risk every single time that you step outside of your bubble, whether it's your house or if you're, you know, stuck at a hotel or whatever, you, you end up kind of risking that. Yeah. And like you said, it's not a, you know, it's not a shit on the WWE and second guess everything, but I think that this is what I had written at the time First of all, you have to remember when I said this, it was like probably, you know, April when things were just, you know, and here it was shocking. It was really shocking to see like, oh, this has been deemed essential business that like, like that makes it seem a little bit like, hold on a second here. Yeah, that was shady. And then um, <laughs> but what for me, what bothered me about it was that you guys travel like you're on airplanes. You're not yeah. in a bubble like the NBA and the NHL yeah. who've had tremendous success with it. So I'm like, again, and you have to remember this was in April now, and maybe I was overly sensitive because in here in New York where I am, April was just, it was a shit show. Disaster. Yeah. And I'm just like, these poor people have to get on planes and travel during this. Like I just, yeah. couldn't believe w- that's, that's what bothered me the most about it. And I, I mean, if you're in the ring, you are, there's droplets flying all over. Sure. Yeah. And you know, that, that was sort of where I stood with it at the beginning too. Cause I was not traveling for a while. They, you know, I was like doing stuff from home. I was like, I just don't need to be there. Especially when we're looking at what, what I was doing on the shows at that time. First of all, people were cutting great promos just straight to the camera. You actually don't need the interviewer there at all. <laughs> they were doing great work without them. That didn't have but- to make you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> but if whatever they were doing great work right. i don't my pride and joy is not interviewing somebody for two seconds on a right. show i mean right. whatever cool it's just you know you feel like a mic stand most of the time because you're you know whatever we can get into that later <laughs> but um yeah it's like you know for me to fly from las vegas to orlando when you have Caleb Braxton local in Orlando, you have Sarah Schreiber local in Orlando. Um, Charlie Caruso was spending most of her time in, in Florida at that point. I'm not sure if she still is, but like there were hands on deck that didn't have to travel. Um, so for me to feel like I had to actually still get on a plane and go do it was like, Oh my mm. God, for what, what are we talking about here? Like it's just, it felt insane to me. Yeah. I'm glad they at least they've got it together now. Yeah, me too. Like, like you said, yeah. me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I cut them some slack from the same, but like nobody knew anything. But I, I thought it was just like an insane task people get on airplanes in April. But that's just yeah, my own and get and you know, especially like you know, even back then, it's like you would get you the first few times I like went to the airport. I'm like, 
wow, okay, nobody's here and nobody's on the plane. So you end up feeling a little bit like, meh, okay, whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe down my seat. I'm walking around with my Clorox wipes and trying to clean stuff as much as I can, wearing my mask, cleaning my hands. I'm not really around people. But that didn't last all that long. All of a sudden, the planes are packed again. And uh, yeah, it just, it just felt yeah. scary again. Um, all right, we've kept them waiting long enough. When will you be in AEW <laughs> with your husband? I will be, I will be watching what he's doing. It's fun to be able to just be a fan of everything that he's doing right now and a fan of everybody that's there in the product. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, there has been no talks. Is I it funny not, that everyone just assumes you're there course. already? Yep. I, of course, but that's everybody. Literally right. the second anybody leaves WWE or is fired or whatever, it's right. like, oh, they're going to AW, AW confirmed. Like it's just nonstop. Um, so obviously I knew that that was going to come up, but you know what I found really interesting was as much as I just assumed that that's what everyone was going to say when I left, more people were like, no, she's going to go work for Fox. She's going to go to ESPN. She's going to do whatever. Like a lot of people saw me kind of leaving the wrestling world, which I was really surprised by. So clear the air on that. So what, if you, if you could pick, if you were able to like wave the magic wand and have the jobs you want, what would you want to be doing? Honestly, right now, I want to I wanna become Lady Rogan. Interesting. That's, yeah, that's sort of the world that I want to get in. You know, I want to be well, in control of more of my own content. I want to be in control of my, of, of my voice, the things that I'm talking about, the things that I'm doing. Uh, you know, I think that's also the, um, the post-WWE feel to be like, oh, my God, I can do whatever I want. And no one's going to be nitpicking every little thing that I do that it's like, shit, all right, let's, like, get a little bit unshackled here. But, um, yeah, you know, the more I look at that space that, I mean, obviously what Joe Rogan has been able to do is fucking insane and in incredible. But there's really not a lot of women in that space. Um, and I would like to kind of step in and, and provide a, a voice in that spot and sort of take up that that corner as much as I can. I think Spotify would be thrilled to have you. Come I, on, I, have Spotify. I, have, I have a strong feeling you can make that happen with Spotify <laughs> as they boost up all their podcasts right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really, I think, where I want to be right now. I mean, that's a my, great, I think that would be a really good gig for you. Cause I feel like it's so weird. We talked about this the first time you were on, like we, we were like, you know, the Twitter friends and internet friends. And it's, it's really such a bizarre thing when you connect with people that way. It's yeah. just a weird, but I feel like I know you so well. And we have similarities just because I feel like you're also the, like with me, I work at sports illustrated. So people assume I'm always going to be like tweeting about sports and like, there's sure. a million other things I'd rather talk yeah. about with you, yeah. your WWE, but you're out there talking about your cookbooks and your music and your vinyl. And like, yeah, that's the perfect person to host a podcast when you can, right. and you get the, you know, I have to sort of stick it to sports as much as I can, even though this episode is going to have Brian Baumgartner from the office on it Very as well. Cool. So I can venture Very out cool. a little bit, but I feel like <laughs> with you, like you can do any week, you can do any topic you want. And yeah, and that's, that's what really appeals to me because, you know, it, it was never that I was like, oh, I want to work in sports. That was like, you know, it was just sort of a place that I wound up because I started doing more like comedic style sports takes on stuff. And then it just sort of snowballed into everything that I've been able to do today, which is fucking great. But yeah, there's so many other things that I want to do that I really feel like I can be a little bit of a, a Jill of all trades. I feel like there's so many different topics that I can hang in conversationally. Um, I love to, to be doing what you're doing. I love to do the interview. I love to sit and pick people's brains and like 
really, you know, peel back the layers of, of yeah. people and everything. So, you know, I would always be like, oh, I want like that Kelly Ripa gig, or I want to be like Chelsea Handler or, you know, anything in that kind of vein of these like women that have been able to be like so sharp and funny and edgy and like really thrive in those spots. Um, but I just, I, I'm, I feel like sitting back and waiting for that to open up or be the thing is like, that's never been my MO. So it's like, shit, if I can start making my own and just make my own stuff happen, that I think is where the success lies, especially this day and age where we're looking at this pandemic world. I can easily just, I can do what you're doing right now. Set up a microphone at home, set up the set up the zoom calls and get to work and start creating content right away. Instead of being like, Oh, I need a studio setting. I need to get this blah, 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 you know, do it, do it now. And then build from there. Yeah, no, you'd be great at it. I think that, I was because I was going to ask you. I had it written down. I'm like, I'm like, ask about reality show, but I don't think you're a reality. First, no. I mean, I know your husband probably would never want to go there, but I know, like, I've seen you on like <laughs> Total Divas, Total Bellas, whatever it's called. Right. My nieces love that show, and my nieces are very upset they're not here to see you. By the way, oh, Total they're Bellas for, is a great show. Yeah, so they love the Bellas. They're addicted to the Bellas. So I watch the Bellas with them. I know, and I've seen who them, isn't. Like, I mean, come on, those girls um, are the best. Yeah. That they felt like they were pregnant for about four years. I kept joking to my nieces. I'm like, because I follow them on Instagram and <laughs> yeah. every day they were the, I'm like, I feel like these two women it have been pregnant. It's gotta happen. Yeah. I know, it's crazy. But they're great. I've, you know, I've met them in the SI building and I love Daniel Bryan and Cena's been great. It's like, well, he's yeah. not with Nikki, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you don't seem like a reality show person. No. You know, it's funny because like, John and I will joke about that every now and then. We're like, oh, like we could do something together. And like, you know, at some point it would be fun to work with him together on something, I don't, but maybe that's just a thing where he happens to pop on this, whatever new show I create. And he gets to come hang out with me in that space. Cause I think there's something very, very interesting about humanizing him to people. People yeah, think yeah. he's a, a maniac and he is, but there's other sides to him. So I think people would be very interested in that, but you know, the, the reality show world is, it is a lot of work and it's a lot of vulnerability in order for it to work. And I think that's not really something that, not that I'm uncomfortable with the vulnerability of that, but um, everyone's so fucking judgmental about everything that to just put everything out there, it kind of scares me too much to imagine blending those worlds and not being able to step away from it. You know, you're always on, you're always working. uh, And I, that doesn't appeal to me. That scares me actually. And yeah, and you wouldn't want to be one where, I mean, I think Total Bellas, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know about the last couple of seasons, but I know the seasons when John Cena was, I, I wouldn't say it was full out reality. I think there might've been some writing. Sure. I had John on and you know that there's that one episode where he's like laying down the rules of his house. Right, right. And when he came on this podcast, I said he should have won an Emmy for that because it was just <laughs> so phenomenal the way he played that. But, but. you know, I, it seems to me like the more the show goes on and those girls have such a knack for that world. Yeah. You know, I, I really always compare it to the way the Kardashians work. It's like they're lucky because they have each other to always work with. They've got their husbands and partners, mom, uh, brothers, sister-in-law. They can right. work within their own family and keep that a safe spot. They can know when they're working and when they're not working, where I felt doing Total Divas was a little bit like is this for real right now? Because you can't tell who's working and who's not working, right, right. whether it's safe or not to be like, I, I don't know what's going on. And yeah, that would always kind of stress me out. But I feel like, I feel like there's such an authenticity to what Brie and Nicole are doing on Total Bellas that it's made it, 
it, the show's great. John and I watch the show all the time. Like when the show's on, we're like stoked to watch it because we'll be like, do you think that's real? Like we have those conversations at home all the time. Right. And it's funny how you said about, you know, a reality show might show a different side of John. I think that's what it did for Daniel Bryan sure. because like yeah. you, you know, for years, I think fans wanted WWE to show his personality more. And then you guys were able yeah. to do it on Talking Smack. Yeah. Um, but then on there, you saw you saw the personality. He's, you know, he's a really funny. He's know, great. Everyone yeah. knows he's a great dude, but he's also funny and has an interesting personality. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got like this charm that yeah. Yeah, you're like, wait, I don't get Because when you get to show that in the ring, it's like impossible to do that. It's hard to do that in promos when you're talking about beating the hell out of somebody to <laughs> be like still like funny and charming and witty. Right. So. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. I think the people that succeed in the reality world, like all for them, I, I think it's great. I like to watch it, but as far as wanting to do it on my own, like, I don't know, I would never say never, maybe down the line. That's a thing that John and I decide that we want to do, but you know, the, just trying to like protect ourselves you know, if, if we were to like have kids and everything, like right. I wouldn't, I, I couldn't imagine putting kids through that. Like that, yeah. that seems a little stressful to me, but yeah. Um, just, My dogs I, are all for it, though. Let's, let's I, make a dog reality show. I, I feel like that's what Instagram is for. Everyone uses Instagram for the that's dog That's all my Instagram account. is. My Instagram is a blue fan account. That's it. Well, and you got the cooking going on. I always yeah. enjoy the cooking. And the vi- I love the vinyl, seeing what you're playing on your Yeah, record. I know. I Sometimes I forget to post those. <laughs> I feel like I used to play my record, like use my record player a lot more when I lived in Toronto and I lived in New York because I was always just in an apartment. So it was always right there. It was like the central right. area. Now, like living in a house, I'm like, no, I got to go over yeah, there but if quarantine isn't the time to be playing vinyl, <laughs> yeah. when is i mean <laughs> very true very, um very. i think I, I i don't want to push it but i think i cut you off you said there were like no talks with anything with AEW. but is no, it something not- like if they wanted you to show up either i mean because if you went there you could either do your announcing hosting or you could right. be like john's manager who knows i mean there's a who lot knows? of possibilities there yeah would the door be open for you on that or not right now um, again, I have not a clue where they stand on any of that. Um, and I, you know, I never say never to anything. I do have a non-compete that is for quite a while. So, um, if anyone's waiting for me to show up in 90 days, they're going to be waiting a little bit longer than All right, that. That's so, good information. Right so there. yeah, um, you know, I, I think, I think that everything that they're doing there is great. I think that there could be a ton of spots that I could step in and, uh, and work and do some stuff there. Um, you know, one of the things that I did find a little bit difficult in the past year or so was not working with John for us to be in different places. And it's not even the fact of like not working together. Right. It was the like almost pretending he didn't exist. Right. Like that's hard. Like I found that to be a little bit like, Oh my God, like I can't even tweet about him or I can't. Was that true? They wouldn't let you tweet about him. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a little much. Where it's like, what are we doing? Like, your husband, for God's sake. Especially like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, especially, yeah, I don't know, whatever. It's at a certain point, it just gets a little bit too nitpicky with stuff where uh, you got to take a bit of a step back. Yeah. But it's interesting because, so you stepped away, you left the company, New Horizons. um, I get a sense of little frustration with the role, nowhere else to go. But it seems like in your week off, you've been still watching. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I tweeted about it the other day. People were like, oh, you left and like you're still, you know, still tweeting about it, whatever. It's like, I didn't leave because I don't like it. Right. I didn't leave because I don't like wrestling. Well, some people would, like, I think people go either way on it. I think some people, there are people who just want to do like a hard break and like share sure, that. You know, sure. everyone's different in how they, we, but we I, thought it was, I thought we, it was cool that you were tweeting about it. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, our family, we're our, 
like our household is always like John is constantly having wrestling on whether he's listening to podcasts or he's watching, uh, you know, a million different other, uh, different uh programs and everything so it's always kind of happening but yeah there's just like that curiosity to see what's gonna happen and sometimes getting you know watching the three hours of raw can be a little bit like oh, yeah. oh god okay i need to like yeah. pour a stiff drink to get through this one somehow only just because of the length of it but uh um, right. yeah being able to watch a pay-per-view like him and i love to sit down and watch wrestling together so Plus, everyone it's had opinions on roman reigns finally coming back and turning heel i can't wait it's i'm looking great. forward to this yeah Heyman, i've been I, wanting that for years the stuff that we saw at Payback was like, it was really eye-opening. Like, shit, man, a lot of stars were made. Stuff yeah. that I wasn't expecting. It's funny because I was like tweeting about it. And uh, yeah, I think people like, thought that I was like still like shilling for I, WWE. We were like, yeah. wait, wait, wait. People just think as I left that all of a sudden I need to like shit on everything. They're like, ah, oh, screw this. Blah, 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 right, blah. Like, right. yes, I have some frustrations and slowly they're starting to Plus you have a million out friends there. About stuff. Of yeah. course, like I'm yeah. rooting for everybody. Like there's yeah. no part of me that's like, F that or anything. Like it's definitely yeah, yeah. not that. So yeah. yeah, it's it's fun being able to to just watch and, and tweet and uh, yeah, see see all the people get these opportunities. I love everything that Big E is doing right now. Um, watching Keith Lee, the fact that Keith Lee got a clean pin on Randy Orton was like, what? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. Like just a lot of stuff that was really unexpected that um, felt really fresh and like uh, things were taking a step in the right direction. Yeah. I'm happy for Roman. I hope this yeah. goes well for him because I feel like he was obviously shit on for so long by the fans unnecessarily. Right. And then he right. got sick and, you know, there's been a lot going on with him. So I, this, I hope this all goes well for him. Yeah, um, me too. I, you know, I think somebody like him, he's, he's just such a hard worker and he's so aware of, um, of himself and his skill and his potential and everything that I think, I, I don't think that there's any way that that, could fail yeah you know I think, I think it's a surefire success and he reminds me of daniel bryan in a way another guy who i think fans just don't know has a good personality because i've right. interviewed him so many times and i've seen it and yeah one time on the podcast i said his age but i was wrong i think i said he was like 43 when he was 33 and he is like he will mess with me on twitter about it every now and again <laughs> like he's got a good personality yeah. So like it's good. yeah he's a great dude i mean john and him spent so much time together they used to ride together on the road and he's been over to our house a few times and everything so i mean he, yeah he's he's just such a good dude you gotta root for him and yeah. everything that he's been through and where he's headed now is like hell yeah everyone can like buckle up it's it's time yeah um a couple of Quick things before we wrap up. Tell me about the cookbook. Like, is it a certain style of food? Is it all kinds of food? What is like? It's sort theme? of over the place. So it, you know, kind of started with being like, "Ooh, I like to do like gourmet fancy stuff," but like, I'm not a gourmet chef. I'm not even a real <laughs> chef. Um, so it it kind of melded into comfort food. Um, there's no like quick like 15, 30 minute meals. I mean, there's like some salads and stuff in there, but it's like my favorite thing to do. It's like the therapy of like, I want to sit in the kitchen. I want to pour a glass of wine. I will sit and stir a risotto for an hour to get it perfect or braise something that takes forever. I like to be in the kitchen. And it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of from that point of view of like, let's get in there. Like everyone can make these things. Um, 
yeah, there's some stuff. I mean, nothing in it's like hard per se. Right. Just some of it could be a little bit time consuming, but it's more so the hobby side of it that I yeah. love. But um, yeah. yeah, so it's called Messy in the Kitchen, My Guide to Eating Deliciously, Hosting Fabulously, and Drinking Copiously. So um, <laughs> instead of instead of desserts at the back, there's some cocktails. There's a lot of drinking throughout the book. I had a blast, um, <laughs> you know, writing the intro to it, writing the little blurbs for each dish. Um, I, it was really fun to reconnect with myself in that way. Cause I've not been able to do that in a long time. So I was like, Oh yeah, crap. I've not written in forever. So it was, it was really fun to, to find sort of like my comedic voice in there again, as That's it pertains great. to, to uh, cooking and family stuff. And then, um, yeah, there's going to be a playlist that comes with it as well. Oh, nice. A few different playlists to set up some themes and, right. uh, you know, just from like that hosting aspect, I love having people over to the house whether it's for a barbecue or I'm hosting Christmas or whatever, that's like my shit. I it's love funny that. You say I want that. a full house. So it's funny you say that. I had a couple of people over for a barbecue a couple of weeks ago and I call it a barbecue. People on Twitter are like, it's a cookout. Go fuck yourself. I'm going to call it what I want. <laughs> so I had a couple of people over for a barbecue and I said on Twitter that I don't have many skills in life, but nobody can make a better barbecue playlist than me. Oh, and people right nice. away were like, send me the playlist, put it on Spotify. And I'm like, I refuse to do that because I'm just going to get lambasted no matter like, <laughs> like there's yeah. some things like you just don't want to hear from people about sure. and I just refuse. So I can't wait to read your playlist. Cause yeah, it's funny because, so I was aware of that too, because everyone has a different opinion on like, right. you should be playing this or this sucks or this is great. Right. So I actually great. reached out to a lot of people where like, I obviously, you know, curated, uh, a majority of the playlist, but then I reached out to other people. Like I had John put some music on there. I saw my close friends. I had the Bella twins contribute to that. Um, yeah. I, I had a bunch of people yeah. to, to add their songs to that they thought would fit the certain theme. So good, it's a yeah. bit of a mishmash. So I feel like that kind of gets me off the hook if people talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> Blame everyone. That was really my plan. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want, I can't be like solely responsible. After I tweeted it, I regretted it because I'm like, of course people are going to, but I had like, you know, when you have, when you're having like some people over and you have, you, you have that like maybe like an hour before they're coming and you've got everything done and you have like that maybe a few minutes of downtime. That's when I tweeted it. Yeah. And I'm like, no matter what, I, no matter what songs are on this playlist, they're going to criticize me. Yeah, so why would course. I do this right before I have people coming over and I'm going to enjoy my day? Like, yeah, they, they bum you out. The punishment and sometimes you just of don't. Of course. Want to. There's yeah. times that I do that, that I tweet something, especially if I like have a glass of wine and I'm like, <laughs> oh, this was a funny thing to tweet. Then it's like, oh shit, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> my gotta, bad. It's, yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I always, I've been asking people when they come on to tell me during quarantine although your quarantine has been different because you've been working and traveling yeah. still for most of it but like give me something you've watched that you've loved that you you know would recommend to people what have you dipped into what have you binged anything good well um i rewound all the way to what 2002 or three and i've been binging gray's anatomy um hasn't yeah. that been on for like 700 17 years? seasons you're never gonna finish right renee <laughs> oh my it's it's <laughs> insane but that was sort of the thing that i was like into so i was just like skipping through netflix and it was like you know recommended and i was like oh i mean this is a show that's been around forever people must like it sure i'll watch it so i started getting into it and fully you know leaned into the mcdreamy and the mcsteamy and ellen pompeo <laughs> and sandra oh um some great characters some great storytelling but um yeah, it's, you can kind of just like zone out and watch it. It's got some like feel good. Are you finished yet? Like, did you? No, finish? hell no. I'm um, in season five. I actually hadn't watched for a little bit, and then John and I put it back on last night. But I was actually just listening to Ellen Pompeo on Dak Shepard's podcast talking about how she's been doing it 
for 17 seasons and why she decided to stick around for so long. And, you know, it, it was just interesting, especially coming from having left somewhere that I've been for eight years to, to kind of hear the balance on that. Right. Cool. I think I saw the quote. Didn't she? I saw quotes where she's I'm summarizing. I didn't read the whole article, but I, you know, I'm going by tweets, which is always dangerous. But she basically <laughs> said, like, I I've done it for this many years to collect a good paycheck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know why people are afraid to say that or why that's a bad thing Agreed. to say. I don't understand Agreed. that. Yeah. It, it's it's really funny, too, especially um, for a woman on television to be like, oh, you you know, it's a normal thing. You're going to have a short shelf life. You're only, only going to be able to work for so long. Right. And she said something really interesting in it where she was uh, she was like, there's nothing worse than being famous and broke. She's <laughs> like, I don't want to I don't want to go. I don't need to go back to the grind. She's and she's has her three kids. She's like, I get to go home and have dinner with my kids every night can hang out with my girlfriends. She has like a six minute commute. She only clocks so many hours a week doing the show. But you know, of course, when you have that pecking order where the show is her now, Sandra O oh is not there. Um, Patrick Dempsey's not there. So she gets to make a shit ton of money and gets to live a beautiful life. Um, you know, I, you, you wonder about the monotony of it and, you know, wanting to stay focused and stay interested. Obviously that's going to be a task, but there is like no shame in being like, shit, you know what? I've worked. She, she did the show at 33 and has been doing it now at like 50. That's like, damn, yeah. her yeah. bank account's looking good. She probably has a steady, normal family life. Like yep. that's the downfall of, you know, all the things that people in like Hollywood are striving to do. It's like, we're all scratching this itch, myself included. I mean, just left my job where I could have worked there for a long time, making yeah. good money. But uh, there, you know, it's two different outlooks on on the whole thing. But right. I, I found it just a, to be an interesting take. And she was in one of the great comedies of all time in old yes. school. So she yeah. says that on her resume. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> last thing, I mean, there was it, there was quite a, a quite an outpouring for you when you left when you were leaving from your colleagues. Yeah. Um, you know, videos and. Uh, that were you surprised by how um, devastated people were that you were leaving? <laughs> yeah, it it really blew my mind that it was like, man. I mean, even to like, you know, you see the things of like, oh, someone's leaving, and now we're just gonna like ignore them or pretend they don't exist, and to to have the opposite of that of having a camera crew follow me around throughout the day to you know have me on the bump and do all these like beautiful videos and stuff like. I couldn't have had a better send off. Um, and again, it's like, you know, everything was left on good terms. So I think, I think that was a big part of it too, where, um, you know, I've been able to go in there and do so many great things, but the hardest part from leaving was leaving all of the people. The yeah. job was great, but that's where I had, a, you know, a lot of my gripes were within some of the stuff within the job. But as far as like the people go, it, it's incredible. I mean, I miss the hell out of those people. Like, it's going to be very weird. Even when I started doing backstage and I wasn't on the road as much, I felt so weird not seeing these people every week, yeah. not being able to like go grab wine with Natty after like SmackDown and, you know, spill the hot tea from the day. <laughs> Talk a little bit of shit after the show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, I, that's the part that I'm going to miss the most. And even though, you know, they're your friends and you can see each other down the line or, or whatever, it just, it definitely feels like, um, Graves and I were uh, saying bye to each other and we're like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm like breaking up with my best friend. Yeah. You know, it's like, but it's not the case. It just feels like this, like see you later. Don't yeah. know when it's going to be. And it's, it's just not the ease of being able to see everyone the way that we always had. Right. So, right. You know, we spent a lot of time together. 
I lied. That wasn't the last question. This is the last question. Is it weird for you? You were in WWE for a while. What was it? Eight, eight, years, eight years. Almost eight years. Right. Is it weird we'll say now? say just shy of. Makes me sound younger. All right. Is it <laughs> weird now to do an interview like this where you don't have to filter? I mean, you're filtering yeah. obviously for yourself. Right. But is it weird that like some, you can do this, talk for an hour and the restrictions are not what they usually are. It's gotta be. Yeah, it is really weird. Um, Cause you know, I've done, uh, well, I really, I just did one podcast yesterday with, uh, with Barstool did token CEO. And uh, that was, I didn't really feel like I was unfiltered there. I feel like I was, you know, kind of still towing the company line and doing the, the things that I did when I worked for WWE and, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to kind of dip your toe into because it's like, what do you say? How far do you go? What are we trying to prove or do here? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I just, yeah. you know, I think the way that I'm, I'm slowly getting myself back into is just, you know, dropping an F-bomb here and there. Be like, okay, <laughs> we're getting back into it. We're yeah. getting back into to not having to be too filtered or yeah. worried too much about what we're saying. But it is weird because it's like, when you've been, you know, essentially filtered is a word that I'm going to use for this, but it's like for the past almost eight years that you get so used to how you're going to answer things or how you're going to talk about things that, you know, I also feel like almost anything that I say right now that's slightly controversial is now going to be a headline and it's going to be this, oh, bashing WWE or whatever, where right. it's like, oh my God, you can't, you, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to navigate it all, yeah. figure it all out. It's well, weird. It'll probably happen, but I still appreciate you coming on and, and being honest and yeah. you know, giving me one of your first interviews because, um, yeah, when, when I heard you were leaving, I was like, wow, that's, it felt like you were like a stalwart of the WWE. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's very, very weird, but, uh, but it's fun. It's like, it's cool to feel re-energized again and to start to become motivated to, to do my own thing. There were so many things that I always wanted to do while I was at WWE and just yeah. couldn't do it. Couldn't get stuff done. Couldn't get stuff approved, blah, blah, blah. So now it's like, okay, cool. Time to get back to work and well, uh, be in control of my own shit again. I'm looking forward to your Spotify podcast. I will be a subscriber <laughs> and I look forward to seeing you in AEW 90 days. It'll all be great. <laughs> Over 90 days. Over Don't 90. hold your breath. Oh boy. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot and take Thank care. You Good so luck much. with everything and be well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. My thanks to Brian Baumgartner and Renee Young. Great episode. Great conversation. I thought both of them were tremendous. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did enjoy either of those interviews and you're not a subscriber, hit the subscribe button. It helps tremendously. And uh, many, many thanks again to Brian and Renee for giving me some great conversations today past episodes of the si media podcast recently if you missed any of them last week uh, sports business journals ben fisher was on to talk about nfl media news and richard jefferson from espn was on as well two weeks ago keith hernandez three weeks ago kyle brandt from good morning football so check those out subscribe rate review all right my thanks again to brian mountgartner renee young we'll see you next week right here on the si media podcast At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host 
host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.